Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Thank you for checking out the podcast. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Joining me in studio is uh, global news reporter Diana Foxall. Diana, very busy police news conference today. Yes, it sounds like there were four incidents overnight, kind of starting at about 6 o'clock yesterday evening, culminating with an officer-involved shooting early this morning um, and a lot of serious stuff happening overnight. So uh, first thing yesterday, uh, around six o'clock, police were called about a dead body that was discovered in a a field kind of over by the casino on McPhillips. They're not investigating that as a homicide, but they're looking at it as a suspicious death. So that's something that's kind of on their radar. So what what does that mean? (laughs) It means that um, they found a body. They don't know how long it was out for. They've going to be conducting an autopsy to determine sort of the cause of death, how long it may have been there, and then kind of go from there. So the homicide unit is aware of this case. They're not actively investigating it as it is suspicious, but not being deemed a homicide just yet. But uh, just hours after that, just after midnight, police were called to a building in the 500 block of Elgin for a report of an injured man. So they found this man sort of unresponsive, um, suffering significant significant injuries, and they began to perform CPR. Eventually, an ambulance was called. They couldn't get this man sort of back breathing again, and he was pronounced dead in hospital. We don't have a lot of information on that one, sort of as to the age of the man and what happened. I don't believe a weapon was involved in this, but it was described as particularly brutal. Uh, that murder is now Winnipeg's sixth of the year. So. Wow. Um, a busy night already, and it kind of only gets even busier after that. So at about 3 a.m., um, a Winnipeg police officer was leaving headquarters downtown on Smith Street. Um, as she's leaving, she kind of spots a man acting erratically, following around this man who's delivering newspapers. So she keeps an eye on him as he's kind of headed out the doors of the vestibule. Um, but as they get outside... This man just turns on her and attacks her. And of course, being off duty, she doesn't have sort of something that she may have when she's on duty. She doesn't have like the Kevlar vest. She doesn't have her radio or any kind of weapon or anything like that. So um, the suspect is just attacking this woman. But luckily, this off-duty officer, but um, luckily there were two cadets sort of right there. And with the help of another off-duty officer and an on-duty officer, they were able to pull the suspect off the officer um, who is just leaving her shift and arrest him and kind of get that all settled. They also called an ambulance for the officer who was just leaving and she was sent to hospital with serious injuries. Oh boy. We aren't receiving kind of any updates to what those injuries are, just safe to say they are serious. Uh, Doesn't sound like a weapon was involved, but just really an erratic man who completely turned on this officer as she was heading out of the building. Um, so that brings us to about three o'clock in the morning, but there is still more. So at about 445, officers got a couple calls about some sort of family incident going on at a house in Charleswood. Now we were told that one of these calls was placed from someone inside the house, but there were also neighbors who called in with concerns. So police showed up. I'm told it was about, I think five units that arrived, 
Um, and when they got there, they found a 27-year-old man stabbing two other people inside the home. We don't have an exact sort of relation on these. Obviously, the call did come in as some sort of family matter. Um, we are told these three people were all living inside that home, so we'll kind of take that as you may. But um, it was such a serious situation. They couldn't really get into any kind of crisis negotiations, get this situation really resolved peacefully. Um, and it all happened so fast that an officer pulled out their weapon and fired it at the 27-year-old man with the knife, um, and that did fatally wound him. He was sent to hospital in critical condition where he was pronounced dead. The two victims, of course, sent to hospital as well in stable and unstable condition, respectively. Um, so two victims in hospital, the suspect in this case, shot by the officer, and that situation is now being looked at by the independent investigation unit as they must when sort of right. when any, there's an officer involved shooting. any officer involved shooting happens, of course, this one resulting in a fatality. Okay. Now, you had a chance to talk to Constable Rob Carver about this night. I did. And what he said was really all of the incidents here were kind of responded to by General Patrol. And this all happened in a matter of less than 12 hours. So this was a very busy night for police. And uh, Constable Rob Carver says it really takes a toll on General Patrol. I was uh, in... uh Division 11 Central Division this morning at around 9 and I saw an awful lot of officers who should have been gone uh, five, six hours earlier. They were still there looking uh, pretty worn. Uh, um, You know, once once these start and and I'm looking at some of these, you know, one was um, early morning, uh, two were early morning, um, investigators get called back. I, I, I don't know what the number in the queue was, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we were backing up a bit. Uh, redeployment of officers that had taken place in the fall of last year uh, has allowed us to uh, be a little more um, uh, to, to weather these these kinds of uh, uh, barrages of calls better. So um, I, I, I think we're better on top of the game than we would have been a year ago, but it's on a personal level, huge stress. And, and I know I've mentioned this before when I walk through those halls in the morning, uh, everybody's looking stressed. I mean, we've got, you know, officers who've had to discharge their weapon, uh, and we've got a, a person who's died. We've got officers who were at, by, by the sounds of it, quite a, quite a, um, my understanding is the homicide on, um, on Elgin was pretty brutal. Officers had to deal with that. Uh, I've indicated that they were performing CPR. You know, those officers uh, get notified pretty quickly that the CPR was not successful. You know, you're hoping that you can you can go home and say, you know, we we made a difference here. This person didn't die, and in this case, that wasn't uh, what happened. Um, this takes huge emotional toll on, uh, toll on officers, and not just officers. And I've said this before: we've got people in the comm center who are listening to these updates. You know, we've got we've got live updates of a uh, of, of family trouble, and then a live update where officers are indicating shots fired. Right? Uh, people sitting in the comm center are are living that real time and are stuck in our building, not being able to feel that they can um, do what they wish they could do, which is help. We all want to help. Um, lots of lots of emotional uh, uh, turmoil today. I know I uh, saw behavioral health. Uh, our behavioral health unit was called out uh, early and has been here all day and will continue to be here, as well as senior officers from all sorts of units uh, here, making sure uh, people in on their uh, in their divisions are being able to get the resources they need and manage this. 
Boy, oh boy. You know, and I was just saying to Diana off the air that, you know, uh, a lot of times, well, uh, it is much easier to understand a night like this when it's on a weekend and it's in the middle of summer. But Mm -hmm. on a Monday night when we are still in the middle of winter, wow. Very busy. And of course, in this case, the officers who were on that officer-involved shooting call, they won't be coming back to work for a little bit. Right. Um, obviously, the independent investigation unit is not is looking into the situation, but they, the officers also kind of have to go through pretty standard protocol to make sure that they're not traumatized overly themselves. Of course, Constable Carver saying, obviously, you carry a weapon as an officer, but you don't necessarily ever expect to wow. use it. Yeah. And not only that, to use it in a situation where someone is killed. Can you imagine what that would do to your head and your heart? A public event on transportation and climate in the province is going to be held this Friday here in the city. And joining us to talk all about it is Curtis Hull, who is Project Director of Climate Change Connection. Good afternoon, Curtis. Hello, Kathy. Thank you for taking the time. Tell me about the event on Friday. Well, it's an opportunity for everyone to come and learn a bit about um, alternatives to uh, the current way that we move ourselves and goods around the province and some things that we need to do in order to effectively tackle the climate crisis. So the event is called Get Moving on Climate, and you will have speakers and workshops which will discuss Manitoba-centered solutions for climate-resilient transportation. So I would assume, you know, bicycles be a part of that, electric vehicles and the like? Yeah, that's right. We got, we've got six workshops going on, six presentations by people who know what they're talking about in areas like public transit and, as you said, on active transportation. But we've also got the Manitoba Electric Vehicle Association talking about electrification of vehicles. And we've got uh, Terry Shaw from the Manitoba Trucking Association talking about the future of trucking and how trucking fits into into the future, or the future of trucking fits into uh, uh, a future that's compatible with climate change. Um, we've also got rideshare and uh, talking about autonomous vehicles and things like that, disruptive technologies that are going to make big changes. So it's some, some really interesting topics and some people that know what they're talking about. I understand, Curtis, though, that uh, a lot of uh, your group and, and the people who are going to be out at this event on Friday are, were a little upset with what transpired in the city budget on Friday. Well, yeah, the, the, the biggest point of disappointment uh, in the budget was with respect to public transit. Uh, Winnipeg Transit was, uh, there's the, the, the curtailment of the U-Pass for university students, which is important for, for people to develop the habit of using public transit, and so the loss of that's important. And also there's some uh, um, reduction in some routes and some things like that. Which, so it's moving in the wrong direction is what we're, what we're seeing, that instead of investing more in public transit and alternatives to our, our individual vehicles, uh, we're, seeing, we're seeing less investment in that direction. That's a pretty much of a disappointment. So, Curtis, if you were mayor, what would you like to see happen in the city then when it comes to transportation? Well, there's, there's two big areas. Uh, there's uh, active transportation and public transportation are two areas. Uh, and so the Winnipeg Transit Master Plan is, is in front of the mayor right now. Um, and I would recommend that that, that be implemented, be, be, be funded and implemented. 
um, continuing to expand the active transportation network. But the, a third component is, is city planning and making it so that uh, it makes it easy for the city to provide transit into certain uh, development areas. And, and unless the, the, the development takes transit into account, it's actually impossible for transit to adequately provide that service in those areas. So that has, you know, city planning is an, is an integral part of, of the solution. And also emissions. I understand that there, there is a lot of concern about, you know, reducing emissions. Yep. Uh, emission, uh, transportation in Manitoba accounts for 40% of our of our annual uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So it's a, the biggest single uh, sector, uh, so it's important, and, uh, and something that, that we need to be able to uh, move all goods and people without gasoline or diesel. That's the challenge in front of us and the direction we need to move. So, Curtis, let me play and, and hop on the other side of the fence, because I'm sure you must have heard this from, from other people over time. You know, what do you say to the climate detractors who are saying, hey, look, all of this is a whole lot of nonsense, and what it ends up doing is, is costing me money? Well, in, in fact, that's, that's not the case. See, we, even if it wasn't for climate change, electrification of transportation is going to have a huge impact and is going to actually ultimately save you money. If you talk to people from the Manitoba Electric Vehicle Association who drive electric vehicles now, they're saving a lot of money. And even, as I said, even if climate change wasn't a driver, that in itself is going to change transportation profoundly in the next few years. Well, uh, it's going to be an interesting budget tomorrow to see what the province decides to do and, and what sort of initiatives they put forward when it comes to uh, to climate change. Uh, Curtis, for those who want to take part in this event, which I understand, again, is open to the public on Friday, uh, what do they do and where do they go? It's, it's at the Dakota Community Club, uh, which is uh, 1188 Dakota Street, and the doors open at 5 o'clock, and the event is going to be from 6 p.m. until 9 p.m. And they can register so that we have an idea of how many people are coming and, and how to, uh, to allocate the rooms. Um, you, they can go to tinyurl.com slash moveonclimate. tinyurl.com slash moveonclimate. Okay. All right, Curtis, well, thank you for taking the time. And uh, let's hope you get a good crowd there on Friday. Well, so do I. Thanks for your interest, Kathy. Thank you. You bet. Uh, Curtis Hall, who is uh, Project Director of Climate Change Connection at 153 on this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, you know, interesting, you know, as Curtis and I were having this discussion, already text messages were coming in saying, enough with climate change. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to hear about it. And all it is is a tax grab. Uh it's not a tax grab. That I think we know for sure. It is reality, climate change that is. And the word change is a word that not a lot of people love. Nobody likes change, myself included. And so when you throw that word change out there, uh, it can cause some problems. I posed the question to a few of you this afternoon and was asking, you know, the job that you're working now, was this the job that you dreamed about when you were a kid? 
And a lot of you have taken the time to text, and I want to remind you, you can always talk or text at 204-780-6868, long distance 1-844-686-6868, and not one of you uh, has replied saying that you are working or living your dream job or your dream life. Well, let's talk to this lady about it. Jennifer Fitzpatrick, always love Having a moment to uh, to speak with her, she's a generations expert, master speaker, and best-selling author. Good afternoon, Jennifer. Thank you for taking the time. Hi, Kathy. Great to talk to you again. Uh, so, question: Given that a lot of our listening audience this afternoon has responded saying, "Yeah, I'm not living my dream life or working in my dream job," how does a person go about changing that? Well, first, you have to decide that you're not going to do that job anymore, that you're going to make steps, you're going to make some progress toward living the dream job or, or at least doing something that is more in line with what you like. The millennials are so good at this. The Gen Zs are so good at this <laughs> because they have made it a point that they want to have a mission in their careers. And I think a lot of times people that are older – uh, really struggle with this. Um, I think that you you have to just, well, the big first step is to say to yourself, you know what, this is my choice. I'm the only one that can change it and to start making steps toward making the career or the job that you want. Well, and, and let's be honest, it takes a lot of strength and a lot of courage to do this. Absolutely. Uh, so we're not suggesting, Kathy, that you just quit your job. We yeah, certainly no. don't want to say that. You know, <laughs> a lot of us, <laughs> you know, but I'm going to tell you, I teach gerontology at Johns Hopkins. I teach at the Certificate on Aging program. And one of the things I love about that is that I have, so in my class this semester, so it's a certificate. So it's for people who already have a bachelor's or master's and they want to explore the field of aging, which is exploding, as you know. And so they, I have a sound engineer taking the class. I have a psychotherapist taking the class. So these are all people all over 30 years old. I have um, somebody that is an archaeologist taking the class. I mean, I have all over the place people that are looking to make a career change. Now, did they give up their day jobs? No. But what they're doing is exploring. So some of them are taking a class here and there just to kind of feel it out. Is this something I'd like to do? And some of them are fully in the Certificate on Aging program. There are certificates programs online. There are certificate programs in person. And so this is a great way to start exploring a new career uh, without making the commitment, without you know quitting your job, but getting some information. Is this something I'd really like to pursue? Well, and, and given the fact, and I was somewhat astounded when I read this number, that 85% of people are unhappy with their job. I mean, Jennifer, that is astounding. 85%. It's a, you know, it's huge. And I think, again, we can learn from the younger generations. One of the things that the younger generations are doing is they're saying they're not they're not staying in jobs five years, 10 years if they're miserable. They're moving on. And I that are older saying, oh, gosh, they're job hopping. But I to a certain extent, I really respect that. They're saying if this isn't meeting my needs, if this isn't if, if I don't feel like it's a good fit for me, you know, I'll spend 18 months, I'll spend two years, but I'm not going to be here for 10 years just because of some sense of obligation that different generations have had in the past. So I really think we can take a page out of the younger generation's book and look at 
what is it that you wanted to do? What did you enjoy when you were younger? And again, and, and listen, if you don't want to make a career change, maybe you only got five years to retirement. You're saying, you know what? I, I got a great pension or I got a, I, I have too good of a gig. Maybe figure out what you're going to do in your encore career. Start looking into that now. Ah, what a great idea. And you know what? I've I've had a chance as of late because of some family members moving into, you know, assisted living and supportive housing and and spending some time with some uh, the, the older generation. And if you sit down and you talk with them, uh, a lot of them, Jennifer, are are talking about a life of regret. And how many of us do not want to live that life, right? We don't. You know, I had that same experience with my grandma. My grandma was in the generation where women generally did not have jobs outside the home. And if they did, they were either a secretary. And she, I, she definitely talked to me, you know, maybe the nurse, maybe secretary, maybe a teacher was very, very limited. Um, and I think it's, it's, we can learn a lot from them. We don't want to be regretting and saying, well, what, what if I could have done something differently? And again, I'm not saying throw everything out and start fresh if you're 60 years old and you're inching toward retirement. But even if you can't change career, can you volunteer? Can you develop an interest like, you know, if you like painting or if you, you know, maybe you want to go back and become a yoga instructor when you're retired? Think about what you're passionate about. And and that can be an encore career or it can be something you do as a volunteer work in your older adult years. It's never course correct. And and let me ask you this, what sort of steps do we need to take to turn, let's say, our creative genius into a thriving business so that we can live the dream and make some money at the same time? <laughs> Kathy, I love that idea. And that's one of the reasons I love. So I have another example in my classes this semester at Hopkins, I have a student who's an accountant. And one of the things that this person has talked about is perhaps niching his business more toward older adults. So, you know, can you, you know, shift your business? Can you, uh, or, or create a new business? And especially in, in the field of healthcare and gerontology, there are so many opportunities. There's so many opportunities out there for people to shift and and do something new. And I love the idea, pump money into the economy, start a new business. Uh, Absolutely. Well, and I love this because just as you and I were speaking, Jennifer, we, we got a text message and somebody said, you know what, I am now totally living my dream life. Uh, On our 25th wedding anniversary. Oh, can you hear me? Jennifer, you there? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Can you hear me? Kathy, I'm here. Okay. I just wanted to read you this text that came in while we were having this discussion. And somebody said, you know what? I am totally living my dream life now. On our 25th wedding anniversary, we bought a 10-acre farm and are running a boarding kennel, raising chickens and ducks, and we don't use an alarm clock anymore. The sun or our dogs wake us up, and I have no need for a holiday. I am living the dream. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. You know, I think it really, like you said, though, it takes some courage. It takes some soul searching to say, what do I really want to do? And, you know, I think you always have to know that there's uncertainty. There's risks. And listen, you know, there might be days for this person who wrote the text. Maybe they have a bad day or they say, oh, gosh, you know, I, you know, there are some things that they miss about their former job or their former career. But, you know, this person went and took this big risk and they feel regretless. They're full of happiness and it's really inspirational. 
Well, it is always good to talk to you, dear lady, because you are inspirational. And uh, we will. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us, Jennifer, and we will certainly talk again. And I encourage people, uh, especially those who are dealing with aging parents, to pick up a copy of Jennifer's book, Cruising Through Caregiving, Reducing the Stress of Caring for Your Loved One. Uh, Good to talk to you, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Kathy. You bet. Uh, Jennifer Fitzpatrick is a best-selling author. Generations expert, master speaker. She teaches, as you heard her mention, at John Hopkins University in the U.S. Lovely lady. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.